This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to speak to you this morning about something that I've titled Born of the Water and the Spirit. Born of the Water and the Spirit. If there's one thing that we value at Living Faith, it's the presence of God. The presence of God is so important. And the thing about the presence of God is that God wants to make his presence known to us every single day. If we have a look at the book of Genesis, and we kind of touched on this last week, it's very easy to engage it from an academic perspective and to have a look and understand the theological takeouts from what happened at the fall. And it's very easy to see the fact that that's where sin came in, and that's where the separation between God and man began to happen, and to identify all the consequences and what happens as a result of that. And the challenge with that sometimes is it puts us in a place where we start to view our Christian life from an academic perspective as opposed to a relational perspective. And the minute we go and we move into the books and the exercises and we lose the heart, we're in trouble. What is so consequential about when God created man is that he took from the essence of who he was and he put it into Adam and he created in that space the opportunity for man to live in the presence of God. He gave them something called the ability to be able to make choices, to engage and to give their love to something. It was a choice. Not that they had to do it. But the thing is, when man lived in that space where he said, you know what, I live in response to a being that is good and that is loving, that everything wonderful comes from, what ends up happening is man in that context began to sit and say, I'm going to give you my love. When we say I'm giving you my love, we spoke last week about love is consequential and it actually has an entity called my belief. What I'm saying is I'm going to entrust to you my belief and allow you to give definition to that. In that space, when we say I love you, what we're saying is I recognize the value of what you are and my intention is to relate to you. And in living from relating to you, we form something called a bond, called relationship. It's something that God said, be faithful to it. And in that space, I will bless you because as you live from relating to me, you're going to discover who you are and you're going to discover possibilities and you're going to walk into realms of experiences that you're never going to have outside of who I am. And that relationship was good and that relationship was healthy and that relationship was prosperous and that relationship was built on life everlasting. Life everlasting is life that never stops giving. Every time they turned around, they were experiencing a new dimension of who life was. And every time they experienced a dimension of who life was, they were experiencing an aspect of who God was. And so what was so consequential in that moment when Eve made the decision to eat from the apple, this is what she said. She said, I know who you are, God. I have history with you. I've lived with you. I love with you. I've given you access to my being. I understand everything that you've offered me. I understand your giving heart. I understand your heart of compassion and love for who I am. And despite knowing who you are, I'm going to make a choice to give my heart to something else. That's what broke God's heart because it was unrequited love. In that space, she knew who God was and yet she made a choice to sit and say, knowing who you are, I'm going to be intentional about giving my love to something else. That was the most consequential thing that happened in the garden. Man broke God's heart. 
And understanding that is so important to us because it begins to give us an understanding as to why God is doing what he's doing ever since Genesis 3. He's working towards sitting and saying, you know what? You may have made a choice. And perhaps you made a choice to leave me behind. But I'm love. And because he's love, he loves in a way that we don't understand love. He loves without parameters. He is love in all of its purity. We very often think we love people, but really it's selfish. I'll give you something. I'll express something as long as I get something from you. But God doesn't live from that dimension. He is love. And what he's saying is, I want for you to know who I am. I can't help myself but love who you are. And he's looking for opportunities to express that love to us. So life, since that point of view, since that time, has become about who is going to capture our love and win our heart. Satan or God? If you take everything that happens in your daily life and you sift it down to the bare essentials, that's what it comes to. You see, there are two natures that are at play. Righteousness, life, love, and sin and death. And every choice that we make is coming from one of those two dimensions. Every day when I sit and I make a choice that I'm going to behave this way, where have you put yourself? Have you sit and said, God, you know what? I, I'm encamped in this camp. I, I want to be an extension of you. I want to know you in this way. Relationship is material. Mater relationship is consequential. Relationship is important. Re relationship is, is, has a vitality and a life to it that is transformational. Yeah. It's not just something which is a static theological reality. The battle for our heart. That's really what it's all about. So we start to have a look at this. And when we talk about things like heart and love, why does God focus on those things? Why doesn't God just sit and say, you know what? You're all nice people. Just kind of live your life well. But he's not, it's not, that's not consequential in God's economy. God is not as interested in what information you have about him. He is looking for you to be born of him. He is looking for sons. Sons is something which is born of God. You're not a son just because I have a relationship there. What is born of him, unless you get born of the water and born of the spirit. God's interested in the nature that defines us. And so when you talk about things like love and heart, they become consequential because love becomes a demonstration of my choice to be intimate with something. Love is a choice that I have to make where I sit and say, I'm, I see the value in that. I'm prepared to invest my trust in that. I want to be intimate with that. And in allowing that to come into my life, I give it access. I've just given it the key to my heart. Come into that space and define who I am. You cannot give your love to one and your heart to another. Where your love goes, your heart will follow. Love is the key to your heart. So it becomes important for us to understand that God doesn't just want us to have a whole bunch of information about him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to experience him. He wants who we are to be born of him. John 3.16 says, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We all know this is, this is the number one verse in the Bible. But it's really important because there's some things that come out of this that are very, very consequential. For God so loved the world that he gave. The two things in, in that. Number one, it defines his nature. God is love. He loves you, period. No buts, no ifs, no ands. There is nothing. I love you, period. That's all he can do. He's looking for opportunities to be able to come and show us who he is and look for us to respond to that love by sitting saying, I see who you are and it's so valuable to me. I'll give you my love. I'll give you my love. He is love. The thing is, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What it's saying is, I never even thought about God. I never even considered him. I probably used his name in profanity. I did all kinds of things, totally oblivious and unaware of what God was. And I may have even been cynical about it. In fact, I could have even been an atheist. And you know what? None of that mattered to God. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Because you know what? It doesn't matter where you are. There's going to come a time where I'm going to introduce myself to you. And then you're going to have to make a choice. I love you. I love you. God so loved the world that he gave. That is the nature of who God is. God is a giving God. He doesn't take from you. He's a giving God. God is always looking for opportunities to introduce you to truth, to introduce you to who he is, to introduce you to a new dimension of living, to introduce you to expansion and possibilities. Every time you make a choice, if you were to stop for a moment and be intentional and you were to turn and sit and say, show me what I'm supposed to do right now, you'd be surprised. But we don't do it because life is busy. I haven't got time to ask God. I don't stop for a moment to get intentional and to go and check with where I should go. So we run with stuff. And invariably what we run with is natural. We run natural, natural, natural. Our life becomes rote. He's giving all the time. And in giving, what he's doing is he's extending an invitation to us. Every time, whether we're aware of it or not, God is talking and God is extending an invitation. The question is, do we recognize it and what do we do with it? If we recognize it, the way that we validate it is by sitting saying, oh, I thank you. I see the value in that. You know what? I'm going to extend my love to that. I'm going to be intentional about allowing that into my space to give definition to who I am. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. The start and the ending point of everything in God is Christ. Everything is going to be in Christ. It doesn't happen outside of Christ. The reason that Christ came was because in the Old Testament, God didn't have access to our heart. I want your love and I want your heart. The reason that Christ came was because he said, you know what? I want to get back to the essence of your being. When Christ came, he created an opportunity for once again, for us to go to God and for us to commit our love and our heart to God, to open up that space, to allow him to come in and to flood that space. Everything comes through Christ. In Christ, we have a wonderful opportunity called grace. Grace is the constitution of the kingdom. And every time you get born of the water and born of the spirit and you enter the kingdom, you get to experience the fullness of what grace is all about. 
flood your life. I never did it. He did it. And he's looking to take aspects of who he is, aspects of his love, aspects of his goodness, and to flood your life with it. It's called grace. That whosoever believeth, here's your part. Whosoever believeth, believe is the word belief. It's to be in love with. What he's saying is, do you make a choice in the space to fall in love with me? Will you give me your love? And how you give him your love that's intentional is to sit and say, because I trust you, I'm going to take that aspect of my life and I'm going to submit it to you. I'm going to hand it over to you and I'm going to allow you to come into that space and give definition to my belief. I can't remember this, so I have, to, I have to go and pull it up and tell you. But I do want to touch on it because it is important. So, definition. When you talk about defining something, to define something is to describe the nature, the scope, the meaning, the boundaries, and the limits of something. When you give your belief to God and you sit and say, I want for you to define it, what you're saying is the scope, the limits, the nature, the potential, the possibilities of this thing. I'm surrendering to you and I'm allowing you to come in and define it. But you don't have to give it to God. You're going to have a choice. But the same principle applies whatever you allow access into that space. They have the prerogative of defining my belief. The way that I marry myself to God's opportunity that he extends to me is to be intentional about sitting saying, I'm going to give you my love. I'll give you my belief. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. What he's saying is life of a superior nature, life that keeps on giving, life that is way beyond anything you can possibly imagine. And the way that you can experience your inheritance is through belief. It's all about Christ and me. And it's in that space. He is forever giving. He is forever loving because that's who he is. It's what emanates from him. The question is, how are you going to respond to it? How are you going to react to it? Do you sit and say, I'm going to live in unrequited love? Thank you so much. I appreciate who you are, but I'm going to go a different way. Or do we reward it by sitting saying, you know what? I value that so much. I'm going to commit myself to you. Belief in, in, in the original Greek actually means to be faithful in relationship. The ultimate call that he's calling us to is a call of faithfulness. To live my life at a place where I am aware of who he is and what he wants to do. Always looking for opportunities to invest my love. To sit and say, Father, man, that's an opportunity so much bigger than anything I ever possibly imagined. I'm going to surrender. Come in. Make that a reality in my life. So how do we do this? I'm so glad you asked. So I'm going to give you four points. Four points that'll change your life. The first point is this. You got to get revelation. Revelation. Revelation is how God gets into your story. Revelation is that place of intimacy that I've developed between God and me. Viewing God from an academic point of view is going to give you a perspective on who God is. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
It's good and it's right, but it's just insufficient. What I mean by that is this. Simply knowing that God wants to provide for me is true. Jehovah Jireh is my provider. That is true. I know that it's true, but it's insufficient because it doesn't help me when I'm sitting without a job. And so in that space, I have to be able to relate to God so I can go to him and I can say, Father, I know that you are Jehovah Jireh. How do you want to present that to me in this space? What does it look like? What do you want me to do? I think we've lost how intimate God wants to be with us and how detail-oriented he wants to be with us. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is like Saul on the road to, to Damascus and when he meets with God. And the funny thing is, you know, his eyes were blinded and off he goes. And the, what's interesting about that story is that prophet Ananias is sitting praying. And you know what God says to him? God says, he knows nothing. They don't have Facebook. It didn't appear on it. He doesn't know anything. So what happens is God arrives and says to Ananias, I've got to tell you what happened because I've got a mission for you. When was the last time God said, I've got a mission for you? Listen, Ananias, let me tell you what's going on. So he starts to give Ananias the news, not from the television, from God. And he says, Ananias, let me tell you what happened. So I, I want you to get up and I want you to go to a street called Straight. I'm going to give you the name of the street. And when you get there, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to run into, I know, Saul. I know it's a shock to you. Just trust me in this. It's okay. When you get there, what you're going to find is he's sitting there and I'm going to give him a vision about you coming to visit him. But what I want you to know is I want you to go there and I want you to pray for him and so he can get his sight. If you tell people nowadays that God speaks to you, they think you're loony. But when you read the way that he dealt with people in the Bible, it was intimate and it was personal. It wasn't just blunt, I'm Jehovah Jireh, your provider. When they went to that space and they went and they approached him and they spoke to him, he got detail-oriented with them. He said, let me show you what the expression of that is in your life. Okay, Abraham, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. That's how the expression of goodness is going to come out in your life. But I'll tell you what I need you to do. Pack your stuff and come with me. He told him something. The problem with it is when we don't have relationship with God and we don't get revelation, we move into presumption. And when we move into presumption, what I'm doing is I'm sitting saying, thank you, Father, that you're my provider and you give me a job. And I thank you for my job and I call my job in and I thank you that my job gives me twice as much as I've ever earned in my life. And I thank you for earning po uh, possibilities and capability. And I want to thank you for quick promotions. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I've never gone to him. And I think the more I confess it, because I got a word, it's going to happen. But that's not the way that the Bible worked. Peter got out of the boat because Jesus said, come. He didn't get out of the boat because he said, I want to thank you that you take care of me, Father, that, that, that you're my healing. And so I'm jumping out of here. I thank you that you're my provider. I'm going to go walking on water. He got a word. Mary conceived because she got a word. Will you heal my servant? Give me a word. I can't walk off in presumption and tell God what he's going to do. 
comes from relationship. Revelation. Going to him in that space and sitting saying, speak to me, Father. This is what's going on in the situation right now. I'm being intentional about coming to you because I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your word. Speak to me about what it is that you want me to do. Revelation is that place of intimacy. And when he gives you something, the wonderful thing about it is when he takes an aspect of who he is, a promise of who he is, a truth, and he gives that to you, when you take possession of it, revelation becomes faith. It's the same thing. It's just who owns it. Let me give you an example. I said to Vivian, Vivian, I'm coming to collect you. I'm coming to pick you up at 2.30 to I'm coming to pick you up at 2.30 today after school. I've just revealed something to her, which is of me. The revelation was this. I am coming to pick you up. That's a revelation. Something of me, I'm imparting to you. She picked up. Dad is coming to pick me up at 2 o'clock. She takes possession of it. It's her faith. Suddenly, why? Because it instills a confidence in her, in what God, uh, what in her life, God, <laughs> what dad has said to me, she holds on to that. And all through the day and all through the morning and all through everything that's happening, she hasn't seen me. She doesn't know whether I'm there or not, but she knows dad's coming because he told me 2.30 when that bell rings, he's going to be outside because I gave her something of myself that she could take. And because she knows me and because she trusts me, she said, I'm going to impart my belief into that. I'm going to allow you to define what I believe about that 2.30 appointment. And I know that's where you're going to be. It was her faith in what I said. That's why we've got to go to God. That's how faith comes. Faith comes by Rhema, hearing the word of God. Revelation. Revelation. Okay. This is why revelation is important. Because revelation draws us into God. Revelation draws us into God. What I mean by that is this. When dad comes and he says, I'm coming to pick you up at 2.30. I've just had an encounter with dad. He told me something. I had an encounter. I got something from God, which is personal, which is for me. But an encounter with God is always designed to end up as an experience. I don't just sit and live. Thank you, Jesus. You're coming to pick, uh, Dad, you're coming to pick me up. What? She's living in anticipation because at 2.30, I'm going outside because Dad's going to be there. The thing about it is everything that God gives you is an encounter with him. And the encounter with him is a seed that is designed to become an experience in your life. You may feel guilty and unworthy. You need an encounter with righteousness so that it can redefine who you are. It gives definition to things. It begins to change things. When I move into that space, what ends up happening is I allow who God is to give definition to who I am. Sorry, let me get rid of my notes here. You want to know how you experience God? That is how you experience God. You meet with him. You hear what he has to say. And you take that and you run with it. Gideon is out there threshing corn, hiding because he's going to get killed. And I'm terrified of the enemy. And what happens? God comes in and says, hey, mighty man of valor. 
What is he doing? God was coming into that space sitting saying, I understand what's going on here. Let me tell you what I see. Let me introduce what I look like in this situation with you. You know what valor means? It means somebody, I'll tell you exactly what it means. Hold on. I know it means passion and it means, I've got to tell you because this is good. Hold on. See, my notes are all over the place. It's crazy. Strength, courage, and passion. Strength, courage, and passion. What he was saying to him was this is, I know what's challenging you life right now. I understand what's defining you. You're fearful and you're afraid and you're terrified for your life and you're running and you're hiding because that's what's defining who you are. But let me introduce myself to you now. Here comes courage and strength and passion. What he was saying to him was this, you want to experience it? It's an invitation. I'm coming to pick you up at 2.30. What do you want to do with it? What do you want to do with it? Because when I take that and I fall in love with that and I allow that to give definition, it begins to change who I am and I begin to experience those things that he imparted to me and I become a different person and I walk that out in my life. And what ends up happening is every time you get to know God, you discover a new part of who you are. The more you know God, the more you know yourself. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's material. It's consequential. He's saying, I'm inviting you into encounters so that you can have experience. I'm inviting you into that place of intimacy, the place of revelation, where you and I can sit and we can share. Because in that space, I'm going to give you some stuff. And what I give you is designed to change who you are and change your world. Not because of who you are, but because of who I am. Number one, got to have revelation. Revelation is so important. Imagination. Imagination. It comes from the Latin word imaginari. And it means to picture oneself. Imagination is the power of the mind to imagine. But the root principle of imagination is viewing oneself in the context of the image. How we relate to the image. It's about relationship to the image. That's what's consequential about imagination. It's just not random things happening out there. It's about intentional relationship with stuff. Your eyes are the place of enticement. Watch what you look at, because what you look at you give your imagination to. And what you give your imagination to is what you get into relationship with. Eve lived in relationship with God. Her eyes were fixed on God. He filled her imagination with regularity, with who she is and what she was about and the potential and how much she loved. he loved her and what he wanted her to experience. She lived in that place until one day she was in the garden. And when she was in the garden, the serpent came up and said, look at the fruit. And it says, the woman saw the fruit. She took her eyes off God and she put it on the fruit. And when she put it on the fruit, it says the fruit was good and desirable and pleasurable to the eye. 
You know what that means? She allowed the fruit into her imagination. And in the context of that, she began to relate to the temptation. I could be like God. She saw herself in that context. What you allow into your imagination is going to romance your beliefs. What you let into your imagination, what you put your eye on, you're going to spend time looking at and considering and thinking. And you're going to put yourself in that context. And I can relate to it. And I can see it. And I can feel it. What's happening? It's all the time seducing you so that I'll get your love. What happened? She became unfaithful because of what she looked at. Be careful what you look at. Watch your eyes. Proverbs, um, no, I don't want to go there yet, sorry. See, how, this is what happens when I jump all over the place. Sorry. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind. You know what it's talking about? Where are your eyes? You don't think in words. It's not saying set your words. It's saying set your mind. What's saying is where are your eyes? What are you looking at? Are you looking at the things that are happening in your world, in your environment? You're not going to find God there. What you're going to find is the serpent with some fruit. Don't set your mind on things on the earth. Set your mind on things above. Where are you looking? Where are you looking? Remember, the eyes are the place of enticement. Be intentional about what you look at. Romans 8 verse 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds, set their eyes on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Galatians 6, 8. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. What it's saying is, what are you looking at? Because what you look at, you give access to your imagination. And when you give access to your imagination, what you're doing is you're allowing it to romance your beliefs. You allow it to romance your beliefs. What romances your beliefs, what you allow into your imagination, is sitting on the throne of your life. The throne of your life is your imagination. I'll tell you why. Because if you have a look at um, the Greek word, no, the Hebrew word, mm, the Hebrew word for imagination is yeza. And it's about the potter fashioning the clay. The imagination is about the potter fashioning the clay. What you put your eyes on is what you surrender your imagination to, the throne of your life. And the image that comes into your imagination is crowned potter. And the potter gets to take the clay, my belief in that area, and mold it and shape it. Mold it and shape it.
just sorry, I'm just trying to streamline this a little bit. He has an opportunity to mold it and to shape it. What sits on the imagination of your life, what's sitting on the throne of your life, is busy molding and shaping your beliefs. Your beliefs are important because your beliefs are the DNA of your heart. Do you know what DNA is? DNA is, um, can I, it says, can I get one of these, Rafa? DNA contains the genetic information and instructions for the development and the functioning of a cell. What happens is the DNA goes into the cell and it tells the cell how it's going to develop and how it's going to function. It goes into the most central part of the cell, the nucleus. And what's important about the DNA, one of the things that's important about it, is that it is responsible for inherited traits. The traits that come from the parents are carried through in the DNA. It is responsible for making you uniquely who you are. That's what DNA is. Beliefs are the DNA of your life. Because in an area, the question becomes, what do you believe? What do you believe? So your DNA, your belief, gets defined by whatever's sitting on the throne of your imagination. Which means that your belief becomes the instructions to your heart as to how it should develop and function in that area. It carries with it the genetic material. It carries with it the inherited traits from wherever it's come from. It carries with it the nature. Life or death. It's in the DNA. It's in the beliefs. And what ends up happening is when belief comes and takes root in my heart, in my nucleus, it gives definition to all of those things. As the belief comes and lives in my understanding, what ends up happening is it translates into my understanding of who I am. I start to understand myself from the context of what's being put on the inside of there. I begin to understand God from that context. I understand my world from that context. I begin to see things from that context. I begin to feel from that context. Act. Choose and believe. The DNA that comes into my heart is what is responsible for defining every aspect of who I am. It's, it's, it, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Do you know what the word issues really is? The, the original Hebrew word for issues is exits. What it's saying is this. Everything, whatever defines your heart, your understanding in that space, will be responsible for everything that exits your life. Everything that comes out of you will be defined from that space. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart uh, with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Proverbs 23.7, as a man sinketh in his heart, so is he. Luke 6.45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever defines your DNA, 
of your belief and goes into your heart in that area gives definition to what it looks like and it affects my understanding. That's why your imagination is so important. So modern theorists believe that fundamentally, if you change thought, you'll affect a person's behavior and feelings. In essence, what they're saying is change the way people think and they'll behave differently and feel differently. What God says is more fundamental to your thoughts is your imagination. I'll give you an example. So you have two thoughts. If I do this sin, it's going to feel good. Man, it's going to be pleasing. Here's the other thought. If I do this sin, it's going to displease God. I've got two thoughts. So which one are you going to do? Both of them are thoughts. Both of them are true. Both of them are facts. The question is, which one is going to win your heart and affect your behavior and your choices and your thoughts and your actions? The one that sits on your imagination. The one that sits on your imagination. Israel. God comes in and delivers him. Takes him out of Egypt. Brings him out. Come into the Red Sea. Makes provision and moves them through. Puts them into the desert. Provides for them. Gives them food. Gives them direction. Gives them guidance. Gives them healing. Gives them everything that they need. Leads them to the promised land. The land that I will give you. Sitting at the promised land. Got two choices. We sent out spies. This is the land that God has given us. Yes, but it's full of giants. And we like grasshoppers in their sight. And things are tough. And things are formidable. Which one are you going to go with? The one that owns your imagination. Caleb said, let's go in. Let's possess the land. You know what owned his imagination? What owned his imagination and informed his DNA, which became resident on the inside of his understanding of the situation and the potential and the possibilities of what could exist. But everybody else was like, oh, oh. But, you know, it sat on the imagination. And what sat on the imagination, as a result, put them at a place where, like, we don't want to go in. Thanks, God. But no thanks. In every choice you're going to have in life, God's not concerned about the reality, He's concerned about the invitation. He's not asking you to do it. I'm not asking Vivian to get herself home. I'll come and get you. Do you trust me? He's not asking you to do anything. That's what's so important about the Christian walk. I can't make myself feel better about myself. I can't make myself feel more righteous. 
I can't feel less guilty than what I am. I can't do that. I've got to go to him. I've got to get something from him. I've got to get a word and allow the spirit to do something on the inside of me that brings about change in who I am. But when I get a word from him, what he's saying is, take the word and do something with it. Don't take your eyes off what I tell you and look at the situation. Because when you look at the situation, you're going to let the situation come in. And all of a sudden, my word slips away because you allow the reality of what's out there to come in and flood your imagination. And now all of a sudden, what's romancing your DNA, what's romancing your, be, your, your beliefs is what you've put in, inside of yourself. There is an intentionality to our relationship with God. We get to choose where we invest our love. But where we invest our love, we give access to our heart. We have incredible opportunities with what he's given us. He is so good. He is so good. So here's the paraphrased version for anybody who got here late. God, no, God loves you more than you will ever know. We will never be able to comprehend that because we don't, have, we don't have the capacity to understand love the way he does. He loves you more than you will ever understand. And he's inviting us to come to a place where we get to know him. And in that space, he wants for you to share and he wants opportunity for himself to be able to take who he is, his plans, his purposes, his truth for your life, for you and for everything else and to share it with you. And what he's inviting us to do is to sit and say, I make a call today. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on you. I'm going to take the things that you give me and I'm not going to be um, double-minded in it. I'm not going to change my focus on things. I'm going to keep focused on what you've given me because as I keep focused on, on what you've given me, I give your revelation access to my imagination. The throne of my heart. And in that space, I'm going to be intentional about meditating on what you give me. Day and night, like a tree planted by the streams of water, it yields its fruit in season. His leaf shall never wither. I'm meditating on it. Why? Because I want you to come in and I want you to define that DNA. I want you to give me part of your nature imparted to me. I want you to give me the wherewithal that's going to de give definition and function to that area of my life. I want it defined by who you are. And so in that space, I live from a belief and understanding of your truth. And as I walk into that, I want to thank you that everything that you've given to me, I can begin to experience in life. God wants you not only to understand him, but God wants you to experience him. And so everything starts with that point of relationship with him. Getting to the place where I can hear him and hear his voice. If you can't hear him telling you he's coming to collect you at 2.30, all I've got is academia. I know he's a good God. I hope he does something for me. Father, I thank you for the goodness of your potential and your great, great love for us. I thank you that as we begin to explore you and discover who you are, I thank you that we really don't have a, a comprehension or a grid for how expansive you are. I want to thank you that no matter what happens, you're always fighting and clawing to meet us. You always do everything necessary to meet us in that space.
I want to thank you that you're interested in sharing who you are with me. Giving a part of who you are to, to me so I can get to know you. And in that place, I begin to walk into who I am. I discovered something about myself I didn't know before. I thank you you never leave us nor forsake us. I thank you that you're always speaking. All we need to do is fine-tune ourselves. Be intentional about looking for your voice. I thank you, Father, for the raising up of a new generation of people. Not a religious people, not a functional people, but a relational people. A people who live from the heart of God. I thank you for the introduction of world changes. In Jesus' name, amen.